Kyle, thanks so much for joining us on Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You. I'm Stephanie Fields, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Aporov Gupta. And today we are welcoming our guest, Dr. Phil Polikoff, who is the founder and CEO of A Healthier We, and also a consulting professor for the Stanford University School of Medicine. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Of course. So you have an interesting story. So we're just going to start with that. You said that you are the child of immigrants and you have about five degrees. So tell us, how did you get from there? How did you get to, what was it like growing up as the child of immigrants who may have been learning the way of the, you know, the U.S. and then got to the point that you became hyper successful and hyper educated? That's open for discussion, the hyper this and the hyper that. (laughs) I, I will tell you, I am hyper, so let's leave it at that. Um, I grew up on the East Coast, and uh, my father was a physician. He went to the same school undergraduate in agriculture that I went to school. Then I moved into environmental engineering at another school on the East Coast. Moved into medicine in a school in the Midwest at the time of the race riots in 1967, so saw an inner city problem with all its issues but was awarded to go overseas to a a well-recognized school in England. And I was a classmate of the president later in the 90s. So Bill Clinton and I were classmates at school. And then I came back and um, went into the public health service uh, as a commissioned officer and served with the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. And then came west and obtained another degree in public health in epidemiology, which is right now talked about a lot. Um, And then over the years, did a whole bunch in both the private and the public sector to the academic sector, um, the entrepreneurial sector, the political world, and could see a lot of gaps and lack of integration of work processing going through each one. Each one has its pluses and each one has its challenges. So it's been an exciting period of time. And as you get older, you put it in proper perspective, it's more about we than I, and it has to do with health more than healthcare. What excites you most about all of the things that you've done and seen, and how do you feel like that's affected your career? Well, that's an excellent question. Maybe other people can comment upon it more than I. When I came west, I took on a major issue of asbestos-related disease in the shipyard industry, and we screened 15,000 shipyard workers from including Rosie the Riveter, the woman who worked in the shipyard industry during World War II. And we've got much greater influence in Washington on the issue for a period of time in the late 70s, although it's still in the mindset of lawyers for money to solve cases on mesothelioma. And there's been very little treatment for mesothelioma. Um, But that was exciting because we got the issue raised and talked. More recently, I've been quite challenged and excited by the issue of rural health or the lack thereof at all levels and seeing how change comes slowly. And if you really believe in something, you have to have a passion and purpose to make it happen with a degree of ego, but uh, value failure, okay? And learn from your experience and learn from relationships. What do you think seeing all the things that you've seen in rural healthcare and the problems problems that they have, you shared that one state actually just has one licensed professional in which field was that? Um, mental health psychiatry. How could you have one person in an entire state that is mind blowing? Well, there's several reasons. There's no, you know, everything's not as simple as you'd like it to be. 
in rural America, mental health has always had a stigma. Farmers never like to talk about being mentally depressed. Um, that's one issue. Two, the finances aren't as great there for reimbursement. So if you're a board certified psychiatrist, that whole model of fee for service still maintains itself. Most of the insurance companies don't pay for it. So they don't want to go there. So you have a lack of self-esteem. You know, the market forces aren't great. The needs are definitely there and more so with COVID. COVID-19 certainly has hit rural America really hard. The worst states in the country as far as deaths per million or deaths per 100,000 are North Dakota, South Dakota. Um, and then you can add on Louisiana and Mississippi in that makes it New Mexico. So there's a real um, deficit of attention to mental health in rural America. Do you think that the reason that COVID has, the COVID deaths have been so high in those areas, proportion, disproportionately high in those areas, is because there's no care or maybe because those people have more chronic conditions that they're not seeking treatment for? I think it's and, and or, it's both and more. Uh, they have a higher rate of chronic uh, disease states, especially of uh, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity. But there's another issue that you don't hear as much about, but it's very relevant. There is um, opioid addiction and, and fentanyl deaths, okay? And they just haven't paid that much attention to it as much as they used to. Second of all, there's a lack of health workforce people. Third, there's a sense of isolation and there's a hard time getting from A to B. Fourth, broadband doesn't exist as well in rural parts of our country as it does in the urban parts of our environment. There's an urban divide. So we can keep going on. And then don't forget the issues of the meat processing plants, uh, the senior citizen plants, and the uh, prisons, places of incarceration that have death rates. So, I wish I could give you a more simple response, but it's a little bit more complex. How do you start to tackle something that huge for you to say, okay, I see this problem. I feel like I have a place I can start and help. How do you get to that point and what is your first step? Well, this is part of the first step. Speaking of is definitely a part of this. You have to communicate, be available, have empathy, passion, and go at it. So keep the pedal to the metal. So you can't stop. And don't expect immediate changes. Uh, monitor the efficient and effective use of your resources, whether they're financial time or uh, communication resources. Keep your messaging simple and to the point. I like three words in, during this period of time that you can use. I like the words spirit, hope, and energy. Because you have to have a spirit of can do. Um, if you want to be a little bit more aggressive, you can have a spirit of kick butt. Get something going and move on it. Don't let up. And two, um, find the relationships, both in the public and private. And don't rely on any one source and just worry about the dollar for the day. Because you're not going to be able to kick butt just with philanthropic money or government money. You have to go through the grants and all that. That doesn't mean it's not an important source of support but you better make sure that you don't slow up while you're trying to move forward. And then use the media communication. So for your audience, they should be fully aware of, see yourself as a person, not just as a patient or a consumer. Make sure you address that issue. 
uh, and make sure you understand that we live in a world where LinkedIn has more people viewing it than an email. Uh, I have been real challenged by the use of emails to communicate. Uh, it doesn't matter, even personal friends, you just don't get a response. So the times have changed. And if you want to be part of the future, <clears throat> don't think 20th century on every issue. Think 21st century and beyond. That's fantastic. Uh, Phil, as, as you're speaking, what I'm thinking is that you're, the words mean a lot to you. And so you mentioned uh, health and healthcare. You mentioned uh, don't think of yourself as a consumer or a patient. Think of yourself as a person. Maybe it would be helpful for us to hear a little bit about how you think of the differences between what is health and what is healthcare. Sure. Well, let's uh, use the expression back to the future. In 1948, the World Health Organization was created as um, a part of the United Nations, separate but part of it. And they came out with a definition in 1948 hmm. and basically said health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely the absence of infirmity or disease. Okay? When you think about it, it's more holistic. It's not where illness fits into pattern. Most of America's pays for illness care, which they takes about 10 to 14% of the uh, risk factors are from the illness side of the picture. 40 to 50% maybe is from social determinants, which I'm not crazy about the word determinants, maybe social perspectives, worrying about housing, traveling, education, employment status. And the other 10 to 15% is genomic, mm -hmm. your gene background precision medicine. So I really think that when you look at it, your overall sense of self should be under the rubric of health, not health care. And then to dive a little deeper for the purpose of your uh, viewers, audience, is you should look at the five P's getting to the sixth P. So when you're talking about the five P's, the first one is place, place you live, place you work. The second one is your personal health, how you're looking at yourself and keep in mind some of that has an equity interest because those with more resources have access to better food, better exercise, more free time, work-life balance. That's public health. Uh, no, that's personal health. Then you have public health. Public health is need of a lot more attention, more resources in it, more training, and a more holistic point, not just pandemics, but you have the issue of water, pollution, food, pollution, fire management, all that's public health. Population management is the next P. You have to look at why this population has a much higher rate of diabetes and this high population has a much higher rate of opioid addiction. And how do you address the cultural nuances uh, on each one? Then the next P is political will. So how are you gonna get the political will to change? And we'll get to that shortly because when you look at healthcare, you have to look at the quadruple aim. And of those five P's of place, personal, public, population, and political will, that leads to enhanced prosperity. So in essence, all of us want prosperity and health, not illness and poverty. Mm -hmm. okay? yeah. But right now, because of the distribution of uh, resources, those who have more have better health. They have longer uh, 
greater, you know, statistics on mortality, they live longer mm-hmm. and they have less illness. That's fascinating, Phil. I think I, I love the way you've uh, described that. In, in those five Ps, or in the six P, the prosperity, what's the role of healthcare? Does healthcare enter into any of those? Everyone, mm-hmm. because you have to change, you have to transform the existing model. The existing model for everything is transactional. Transactional means money. Mm-hmm. You have to uh, migrate it into more of a relationship model, a holistic integrated model where the person is seen as a part of themselves, a part of the community, and you have to have the caregivers out in the community and it can't be so hierarchical. So the neurosurgeons can't have one status and the community health worker has another. They should be working together. Mm-hmm. Community health worker, the physical therapist, the occupational therapist, the social worker, the primary care physician, the geriatrician, and also the specialist, whether it's GI, cardiovascular, pulmonary, whatever else. But they have to have some ways where they communicate with a common language. And they have to have a a we or a team approach, not an I approach. Because right now, some people you go to an orthopedist, they're more interested in your sign for your knee and then the, how much transaction they can do by cutting, right? Mm-hmm. But there are other issues that might be affecting that person that they can't afford or they're not the right candidate or whatever. So it's it's more invasive. And then the fortune, if you have concierge healthcare, which is more to the point and more data-driven than the other one was you just signing up and getting delivered. Also, you have to have a payer, um, provider, person interaction that's uh, sometimes not there. So it's very onerous to get your paperwork processed to get uh, authorization for a service. What can people do if they're living in one of these rural environments where they don't have access to all these different specialists? You just mentioned a bunch of different specialists and, you know, community health, um, the neurosurgeon, the every different specialist, the orthopedist, and all these different areas, whenever you have fewer resources, how do these people not get overwhelmed and also get access to them if they have barriers between cars or maybe even language barriers, anything else, just not having the access, there's only one provider, they can't get an appointment, or they don't know that that's the type of doctor that they need. It seems like it's really challenging. It well, sounds like it it's challenging, but let's, some things are moving in a positive direction. So one of the things that has occurred that's making progress is telehealth or telemental or telepharma. Okay, so that's making progress. The question is, what's the quality of the tele-intervention? Is there a checks and balance on it? Because on some of those, you don't even know who's providing you your diagnostic uh, opinion. So there should be a checks and balance. Two, what's the revenue reimbursement of that? So are they getting paid adequately enough for audio versus video? Big issue. Um, three is, do the communities actually have bandwidth, broadband for it? Because that's a big issue. Four is that they, um, the best investment is for what you do for the youth. So the more you invest in the youth, whether they have asthma or some other issues of mental health, you have a long-term ROI that's better than if you don't pay attention to them. So you have to educate these people. You have to get the education. The three largest employers in rural America are healthcare, government and education, and third, agriculture. So you have to find ways and there are new entities being created. In agriculture, there's a new company called Farmers Business Network that is really 
um, having better data and driving the prices down from the large monopolistic companies. What you're painting is an incredible vision of uh, what needs to happen, but it's so complex and there's so much a divide between the states, between the haves and the have-nots, between the politics. So where have you seen the greatest success in being able to bridge some of these differences? Think globally, but act locally. Okay, Build trust in your community. Have some project that is laser-focused that you can show definite results with metrics and outcomes that make sense. So it doesn't matter what it is. It could be better nutrition in your local community. It could be um, an exercise park. You have to do audits and assessments and someone in the community working with the leadership in the health delivery system should look at what's the positive nature of their local situation. And then go tell the stories. We just did some stories about three communities as we put up online. We looked at Española, New Mexico, which is mainly Hispanic and Native American. We looked at Orangeburg, uh, South Carolina, which is mainly Black. And then we looked at Ord, uh, Nebraska, which is mainly older white farmers and ranchers. And each one had a different culture. Each one has a positive story of what they changed, but they went about it slightly differently to meet the needs of their community. And make sure that the healthcare people are active participants, not just fee-for-service revenue generators. So it really yeah. seems like getting people out of silos, tapping into those relationships in all ways to get the people in the community to trust the providers and different types of providers, and then getting the providers to realize that they can have a good career and make a difference in the communities where they are living and serving. Perfect. And also, I think at the federal level, the communicators have to be a little bit more uh, uh, courageous and tell a broader vision, and then try to understand where regulations and compliance fits in and where does service fit in from the providers. Because there is a lot of closure of rural hospitals. And you could say there are many reasons. One of the reasons is the quality of the leadership of some of these hospitals. Two is the resources in the local community. Three is the innovation of change to meet the changing health habits of people. So it's not one shoe fits all, but you better try to really understand what your space is and what your community space is. And it sounds like, Phil, what you're saying is you can't just leave this up to the professionals. The individual person has to also be involved. So has that been a big part of uh, some of the initiatives that you've been uh, leading? We're trying. I wouldn't say overly successful. Getting people to change their habits. People are much more oriented to security than risk. People are a little slow on change. It doesn't matter what silo they are. Um, people are uh, highly opinionated and there still is an overdose of meism rather than weism. So I think it's really important that we try to find ways to break down these barriers and laser focus on specific projects so we have meaningful outcomes, whether they're qualitative or quantitative but have everyone buy into the outcome metrics mm -hmm. and make sure there are timelines to do projects. So in your organization, then, are you trying to oversee these projects, stimulate them, get funding for them, or just educate people so they can get projects going? What's your approach? That's, once again, that's two for two for you. Better <laughs> question than answer. <laughs> Maybe learning from you, Phil. Uh, thank you. Um, ours is to make sure that there's a lot of storytelling, uh, both soft and hard. 
So if you go to our website for a healthier rural America, you'll see a lot of stories. You'll see a lot of videos. You'll see a lot. Two are putting pressure on the incumbents. Um, so the time to put change in focus is right now, the next 90 to 120 to 180 days, because people aren't running for office right at the moment. They're collecting money. So put pressure on your local city council, your county commissioners, your governors, your senators, your congress, whatever it matters, put pressure on, but think it out ahead of time and make sure your words are chosen. So we're putting out a proposal to create a new institute in government across silos called the National Institute of Rural Health. And we're editing, so every word speaks for itself. You cannot have too many words, it doesn't capture attention, and you have to make sure it moves up through the change agents. So the change agents basically are the staffers, not the politicians. So you move up the key people who are staffing the legislative and the executive branch. You look for public-private partnerships, and you go out there and politely, but be slightly aggressive, you state your case. How are you getting their buy-in? How are you just making that through these messages? What's making an impact? What's hitting them and making them hopefully finally have a light bulb come on saying, okay, we need this. Right now is the right timing to be aggressive. There's, we've gotten over the part of the Washington uh, nightmare. We're getting a new administration that's trying for change. How much is still open-ended? We're finding the right leads. And with all that, um, it's still a little bit like Las Vegas. You're putting your coins on the table and it may take, it may not. But if you keep the pedal to the metal, you never know where it's going. It might have some changes, it might be pivoted, it might have some adaptations, because there's no one answer in healthcare that's perfect for all. Trust is very important and relationships are very important and commitment's very important. Um, I think, as I mentioned before, you have to have passion, purpose, and a degree of ego in whatever you do. And you have to make sure you define what your return on investment is, how much you need is on economics, how much is it on uh, professional growth, how much is it on leadership. I mean, each person has to answer that themselves. What's the ROI on improved rural health? Well, it's many things. One, you have longer longevity. You have less morbidity or, you know, chronic disease states. You have a greater sense of self-esteem. The mature people don't go into the space of isolation, which is, leads to depression. Um, and you get a rekindle of the spirit of what created America in part. Rural America could be rural Maine with the lobster industry. It could be in the South with the cotton. It doesn't matter where it's at, but you get people moving in. And right now, the people are moving in with COVID tend to be the more affluent moving into the destination place. It's not the hinterlands. So you're seeing that Lake Tahoe or Jackson Hole or Aspen or uh, Sun Valley are doing pretty well now. Some of the other areas aren't doing as well. Also, people are moving out from Silicon Valley and they're moving to Boise, Idaho. So there's migration patterns that are relevant. Um, uh, then you have to look at the crime rate. And you have to make sure you deal with the issues of racism or equity. Right now, here's another statistic that's really hard for you to believe, and I'm sure I'm challenging a perfect because he's never saw the numbers, because I didn't see them until last week. The average Medicare person takes out of the government fourteen to $15,000 a year in payment. The average person in the Veterans Administration takes out 10000 
the average Native American takes out 4,000. Wow. Yeah, that's dramatic. Is it just because they're not funded? I mean, they probably have the need. It's Well, oh, they definitely have the need, but they don't have the voice. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the voice, you ain't getting it. Uh, the voice for Medicare, AARP, has a voice. And it's more uh, urban directed than urban, uh, rural directed. The veterans has their voice because you had military service people, but not as great. And then the Native Americans are not a sizable population as far as the 330 million. They were given when they were uh, promised. There was a promise they were given for health care. They were never given it. So they got to have more firepower. And we're including them. And there are some places where they're really trying to work on. There are five states that have high Native American populations, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Arizona, and New Mexico. How do those statistics uh, line up, Phil, for urban versus rural? Uh, what, what is the expenditure in the rural areas compared to the cities? It's significantly higher. Most of the philanthropic goes to the urban area. Mm -hmm. Most of the uh, hospitals. Also, there's mergers and acquisitions of large health systems now that's uh, decreasing competition. Mm -hmm. So rural hospitals are closing. 172 rural hospitals have closed since 2005. The clinics are closing. The long-term care places are closing. There's a workforce shortage. That's, that's for real. But you have to find a new way of creating a different model. You have to make sure that maybe what you and I were involved with, the accountable care organizations are more relevant. You have to make sure that how you have uh, referrals where the urban uh, specialist goes into a rural area once a month, but has more patients to be seen on a once a month. You have another area which is interesting is drones. Drones first went into Rwanda in Africa to deliver drugs. Now they're in North Carolina delivering drugs and blood and whatever else. So that's where technology, there is a role for appropriate new technology or disruptive technology. I'm a great fan whether it's on electrical vehicles, okay? Doesn't matter, telehealth. Yes, I'm not, I'm very much a, a proponent, but I wanna make sure it's, it's for all, not just for a select few. I like what you had to say, Phil, about think globally because it is a holistic problem. You're bringing in all sorts of things like climate change. What I'm thinking is that most of the change that we're going to start seeing is going to probably be at the community level. So is that your experience as well? Are you starting to see in communities, you know, that, uh, that some change is starting to happen? I would think so. And I think it has to do with leadership at the community level. I think it's making sure that faith and civic and public-private partnerships all become part of the question. Another word that you have to have that's very, very significant is you have to listen, okay? You can't just go out and talk and think you have the authority, whether you're an academic or a clinician or whatever. Listen to what the people have to say and include them at the table, okay? That makes a big difference. So they have trust and relationships. And also applaud them for their uh, community and their history and the culture of their history. Not that you don't acknowledge that they do have some challenges to me, okay? So I come out on a business sense as a person who's been active in business, what I call the Scott analysis, which means have a clear vision of what you want. What are your strengths? What are your challenges? What are your opportunities and what are your threats? And you can do that both on a personal basis and on a community basis and a larger thing and see what your audit is 
And what's your plan? Come up with a strategic action plan. So it's done. So words matter, action matters more, and relationships matter the most. Everything you've said seems to really wrap up in one sentence that you've told us before. In these times, if, a, if the I is replaced by a we, even illness becomes wellness. Only working together will we have a healthier America and a healthier globe. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being here and sharing all of your thoughts. I learned a lot. Very inspiring, Phil. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure as always. Good luck in what you're doing. It's very important. Thank, thank you, you so and much. thank you all for watching. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Bye-bye.